Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Libraries podcast. My name is Alexis and I work for Sheffield Libraries. Myself and colleague Alex had a chat to our latest guest, local author Russ Thomas. Russ's brilliant Sheffield set debut novel, Firewatching, was released last year and his new book in this crime thriller series, Nighthawking, is due for release in April 2021. And Russ is with us now to tell us all about it. Welcome to the Sheffield Libraries podcast, Russ Thomas. Very nice to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. And you are a Sheffield-based crime writer, and we are just approaching the publication of your second novel, Night Hawking. So I guess the obvious question is, can you give us a little bit about what it's about? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, because it's um, oh, well, it's not even out yet. So um, this is probably the first time I've had to, to do this. So bear with me. But it effectively picks up um, a short while after the events of the first book. So uh, DS Adam Tyler's back and uh, so is his protege, uh, Mina Rabani. It, it opens with a, a, a metal detectorist um, finding more than he bargained for whilst digging in the botanical gardens and basically digging up a body. Um, so the, uh, the gist of the book is them trying to solve this murder body found in the gardens. Um, but meanwhile, uh, Tyler's very uh, distracted again, um, this time because um, his uh, long-suffering DI, DI Doggett, has informed, given him certain information about the death of his father, um, which is sort of distracting him from the case at hand. So that's the kind of two strands that run through. I'm glad you managed it because I always How was that? End up sort of like in a revealing a second act spoiler. <laughs> yes, that's the worry, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's always a tricky thing, isn't it? So night hawking itself is a I suppose a slang term for metal detectoring. How did you come about that? Um, I can't remember to be absolutely honest <laughs> with you. I'm probably in some article I read somewhere or, uh, I don't know, um, radio broadcast or something. It's, it's a particular type of um, metal detecting. I don't, I don't want to sort of cast aspersions at anybody who goes metal detecting. Nighthawkers are specifically people who go out at night on private property and dig up things which they then steal. So it's effectively a form of theft. Um, and it's quite big in Britain. Um, there, there are, um, it, it's quite a serious crime. Lots of things do get stolen, especially antiquities. And I just liked the, I think I liked the word first and foremost. And then I kind of like this idea of who does this? Who goes out at two, three, four o'clock in the morning um, onto farmland, hoping to dig up uh, a treasure from, you know, the 1500s or, or earlier or something. Yeah, so any, anything you do dig up as a metal detectorist, you're, you're meant to hand in. You actually hand it into the coroner, which sounds a bit odd, but that's the law. Um, you have to report your findings to the coroner, anything over a certain amount. And then um, it's, I believe, it's sort of donated to the museums and, and then you get a cut of the price. So you do get some money. But there are some unscrupulous people who'd rather sell it on the black market and have all of the money. So. That's kind of what the story's about. How did you go about researching that? Clearly, it's not a subject that is widely 
talked about in the sense that people who do it are not going to be advertising the fact. So how do you go about researching the subject? Did you do a lot of research into it? Um, I, I hate it's um, it's the bane of my life. So <laughs> I kind of I, I wing it a little bit. Um, no, I did I did a certain amount of research online. There's quite a few um, articles you can find. It's one of those sort of newspaper stories that crops up on an almost annual basis. You know, somewhere somewhere has been taken to court for um, for doing this, and, and you usually find um, you can usually quite easily find cases of, of this. Um, I also I also put bought a book on metal detecting so I could learn the terminology and find out a bit more about it. I still haven't been so if anyone wants to take me. I was going to ask if you'd actually had a go at metal detecting. Do you fancy having a go at metal detecting? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean I'm not sure I want to do it as a regular thing and all weather <laughs> or anything like that but yeah that, that was great. Um, but uh, yeah I mean the, most of this was written sort of the early part of last year so um I haven't really had a chance to get out. <laughs> <laughs> like you like you said, so um, your detective, DS Adam Tyler, is um, thrown into the middle of this case where uh, a body is discovered by a night hawker. Um, tell us a bit about Tyler, because he's, um, on the face of it, he's not necessarily the world's most... Uh, upstanding police officer would that be fair to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah um excuse me yes I, I suppose that's fair he yeah I don't he's not a villain but um he he doesn't always follow the rules he does what's needed to get the job done in that in that classic way detectives do um so in the in the first book in fire watching he was obviously um if you've read that he was compromised by um something on the case and he decides to um stay on the case anyway because he believes he, he has this very strong um belief that he's the only one that can solve the crime um and so it's a little bit arrogant but um he also knows how good he is and so he wants to deliver on that and, and that often rubs it sort of it puts him into conflict with his with his colleagues because I, I don't think i'd want to work with him to be honest um right. Although I suppose in a sense I do. <laughs> He's always misbehaved. I love his relationship with uh, Mina Rabani though in this because she really comes into her own in this book I think and and it, it's like he's a bit of a kind of mentor, a quiet mentor of her but is kind of leading her into speaking up sometimes where it might not be welcomed and then other times he's kind of like, no shut up you need to stop talking now and <laughs> yeah they're a brilliant pairing yeah. I think. I, thank you. I, I I wanted more of Mina in this book. She she mm. sort of turned up quite late on in the in the process when when I was writing book one, and then she started to steal the show. So I thought, well, let's let that happen and and have a bit more of her. Um, she, I think they're both learning from each other. That's the thing. So he's teaching her, perhaps, how to do the police work, and she's teaching him how to be human. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but maybe some of his worst habits are beginning to rub off on her as well. I mean, they're, they're so very different, but mm. they all have a hell of a lot in common. And that's what I like to explore. Mm. You know, to some extent, they're both outliers. They're both um, people who, um, because of who they are, effectively uh, run into some difficulties. And, and I wanted to kind of draw that parallel. 
um, obviously because Tyler being gay and, and with um, Mina being a Muslim, um, and, you know, there are often certain parts of society where that, that is a problem for people. So, um, yeah, it's they kind of on, on, the, on paper, they seem like polar opposites, but actually they have quite a lot in common. And I also like the fact that I can show things from two very different points of view. So mm -hmm. you, you'll often see the same scene uh, through Tyler's eyes and then through Mina's, you know, you know, on the one hand, he thinks he's being really clever and she just thinks he's being a bit of a, an idiot. And uh... <laughs> yeah, I love their relationship. I think, I think that's absolutely came across really well in this book. I think it, it was great. And it was so nice to see a strong Muslim female in the police force kind of really holding her own in this book, which is unusual, I think. Yes, I, I didn't, um, I didn't set out, I, I suppose I, I definitely set out to, to have a gay character in the role because it mm. was something I felt was missing in crime fiction, um, having grown up reading a lot of crime fiction, but not really identifying with, with, um, with the, the lead character in that way. Um, the fact that Mina was Muslim was, was sort of an accident. I didn't really plan it, but it seemed right for the character. And um, it, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, it wasn't a, a box ticking thing for me. It was more, how, how can I make this character different? How can I make them more interesting than your run of the mill um, sidekick, if you like. So yeah. for something that makes her a bit different and, and stands out and, and so yeah it was, it was sort of a happy accident in that respect and it's Sheffield yeah. I think doesn't it it represents mm. Sheffield They're very the, much the so. people yes. we have it felt like I was reading about a police station in Sheffield yeah it, that that was the other thing she's um she's Muslim but she's mm. first and foremost she's a Yorkshire woman and and that, yeah you know that that I, I like that that's something that's something I didn't really grow up with in the 1980s Pete Berkshire um, it wasn't the most diverse <laughs> time and, uh, and so it's something I really appreciate about Sheffield and love about Sheffield and wanted to um, represent on the page. You've got quite a few no-nonsense characters like Mina though haven't you like Doggett as well I mean it's like it's particularly those two characters where whenever either of those two are in a scene you're almost sort of like rubbing your hands together because it, it's just like it's great fun as well. It's one of those things where you you don't you don't always get that sense of fun in a crime novel um, as well. Do you, do you deliberately sort of like set out to make those characters quite good fun to be with, as well as um, having a good narrative for the crime novel? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't I don't really consider myself a hum humorous writer, but maybe I'm funnier than I I think. Um, but Certainly, I mean, Doggett started out as a bit of a, um, a cliche on the classic old school detective, you know, sort of aging detective who's been a bit sort of naughty in the past and, and, and now is kind of like suffering for his career, suffering for it. And, um, you know, but, but then he became something more complicated as I wrote him. He took on a life of his own and he became more. Uh, yeah, more complex than than than, than I, he was when he started out, um, and he. I just find he 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 just by just being so horrible the minute he turns up that there's there's a lot of humour in that. I, I I do enjoy exploring how 
you know, I always think, I don't know what he's going to say next. He's, he's going he's to say something incredibly inappropriate or, um, or difficult, but, but his heart's in the right place at the end of the day. And I think that sort of counts for a lot for him. I like him. I think, I think most people yeah. kind of secretly like him as well as hate him. I think, again, it's that sort of one where you wouldn't necessarily want to work with him, but actually you love reading about him at the same point. Um, do you think that these characters um, have a particularly uniquely Sheffield character? Is it because you are you're from Essex originally, right? So, yeah, I, mean, I don't I don't know Essex that well. I was born there, but I, I didn't live there very long. I kind of grew up west of London. Um, uh, yeah, I hope so. Sheffield was certainly Sheffield is a character in the book. I, I like to think a, a sort of. I, I try and treat it that way as, as its own character because this city, I mean, I've been here 25 years plus now and it's important to me. It's my home. I want to, despite my accent, I, you know, I feel very comfortable and at home here. And um, I wanted to represent that on the page, you know, again, in a way that perhaps hadn't been done in a mainstream crime novel or series before. Um, there's lots of things it's the sort of place people know about they've, they've heard of Sheffield um, but they don't necessarily know much about it or what sort of place it is they, they know it for what it used to be in, when it it was you know the roaring heart of the steel industry so uh, examining what it is I, I also quite enjoy having done the process of writing the book and thinking about Sheffield it opens your eyes to things that maybe you don't think about uh, on a daily basis, you know, what sort of place it is. Um, I had to go out and take photographs and write thing, write notes because you get very familiar with a place, don't you? And you don't always see it for what it is. So that was, that, that was definitely very deliberate that I wanted it to, to come across as a, a real place and a different place, a place that, you know, this book, if it was set in Manchester or Liverpool or Leeds would be very different. and. Um, so yes, it's a short answer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes across really, really well. And I think you get the balance just right of not alienating anybody who's not familiar with Sheffield and not kind of adding in place names and describing it beautifully. And the people absolutely to me typify Sheffielders. And yet it's open enough for other people to read and really enjoy and not feel like I can't read this book because it's set in Sheffield it's it's just a perfect balance I think was that hard to achieve <laughs> no I mean it is it's a, it is a, a character in the book but it's a mm. guest character like it's, yeah. it's one, of the, one of the guest cast it's, it's it's not the main thing so you do have to be a bit careful I'm not a fan of those books where you uh the characters are constantly walking down this street and then turn left onto this street and mm. um some people love that um particularly in crime, they, they like to be able to follow the route. I, but it's also not very useful for a writer because sometimes you want to make things up and you want things to be where they're not. And yeah. so I do that too, um, unashamedly. There are real places in the book and there are places that are made up. Usually if it's a real place in a book, it's there because I like it. And if it's a made up place, it's there because it's based on somewhere I don't like, but I didn't want to name it very diplomatic but yes it is a balance you don't want it to be all um you know street names and and put people off who, who aren't here it, mm. 
and it also is a city and it has the same things in common with lots of other cities and I, I suspect I may be the egg the dark underbelly because obviously I'm a crime writer and that's what I'm supposed to be doing but um but maybe not I don't know perhaps there is a dark underbelly to Sheffield but I'm not privy to probably <laughs> <laughs> It depends if you've been down West Street on a Friday night at any point <laughs> in the last sort of like few years. <laughs> we'll cut that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, you, you noted previously that having um, Tyler being a gay detective was something that was important to you because growing up it wasn't something that you'd necessarily seen in the, uh, the genre. Um, his sexuality is is uh, is a part of him, obviously, but it's not at the same point. You, you do play; it's all quite subtle in terms of you're not. It's not like bashing people around the head in uh, in terms of um, yeah, in terms of his sexuality. Uh, how did you go about approaching that? Uh, yeah, it, I'm not. Um... I'm, I'm perhaps I'm a bit prudish in my reading. I'm, I'm not all about writing the, the sex scenes in, in <laughs> graphic content on the page because <laughs> I just, yeah, I'd be far too embarrassed to do that. So um, <clears throat> he, I, I wanted, I very much wanted to, to write a book. Well, the first book really came about because I wanted to see if I could do that classic film noir thing of the, of the sort of femme fatale, but kind of gender reverse it and make it, uh, mm. And and kind of say and and as I say, it's just something I read a lot. I read a lot of crime. Um, I've read a lot of crime fiction where the gay character is the secondary character or um, or the villain, um, but but not the lead. And so I I thought, well, maybe it's time to do that. <laughs> I also thought maybe there's a reason no one's done this and it's never going to work, but. Um, and I'm saying no one's done it. There probably is someone who has done it, um, but, but I, I wasn't aware of anyone. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, it was important to me that he was gay, but I didn't want him, I didn't want to tell a coming out story because I feel that that story has been told enough. Uh, it's just not something that I was interested in, in telling at this mm. time. Not that those stories aren't important, but um, it felt like maybe time for a new type of story, a story that involved someone who was just happened to be gay, but for, first and foremost was a police officer and was getting on with the job. Um, you know, it, we are in a different world now. There are gay police officers and they do the same job as everyone else. And, and I, I wanted to kind of represent that. So equally, it's not, it's, it's the elephant in the room you can't get away from it so you do have to consider it but I never want it to be sort of the main thrust of the story as it were does that make sense so yeah, yeah 100%. 100%. I want the story to be about the fact he was gay mm. the, the mm. fact is he's compromised um he just happens to be gay in, in the first one and mm. uh, you know yeah yeah, I think that's what I was getting at, except a lot less eloquently <laughs> in, in, in the question. It's a, yeah, and it's 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 really well done. And I think mm. um, I guess if you go back to and it 
with Mina and with uh, Tyler as well, uh, it's really nice to see people actually starting to see themselves in literature, whether that, uh, and obviously all across literature, whether that's children's books, crime books, fantasy books. Um, it's just, yeah, I think it's just a, it's just a good thing that um, we are seeing a bit more representation um, in the pages, and it's not the white male straight grumpy detective who um, does all this thing. It's look, it's just this really nice um, exploration of an aspect of his character. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about writing a, a serial um, set of books. So this is the second in the Tyler series. Um, I'm not going to say too much about Nighthawking because it's not out until April. Um, available at all good bookstores and libraries. Um, Pre-order if you can. Um, <laughs> but um, much, I'll slip you the money later. <laughs> but this is the second one, and the way it the, the way the novel goes, I think it's fair to say that there's going to be a continuation of the story, um, which I'm not going to go into for spoiler reasons. But um, how how writing this book, how difficult was it? Was it difficult compared to writing the first one in terms of you, I certainly know from reading crime serials that people who read crime books don't necessarily start at book one and go all the way yeah. through quite often, especially when you've got an author who's written dozens of them. You'll pick, you'll do nine and then four and then 13 and that sort of thing. But then obviously you have to, you almost have to write it as a standalone as well. Is that Was that a skill you had yeah. to pick up on the second one? Yeah, it wasn't something I really considered beforehand um because I'm not like that I I do tend to like to read things in order and I'm a bit I'm a bit about that I confess uh, I read this before fire watching yeah. which well, was really maybe you should ask you is that okay <laughs> did it work it did it did yeah you could tell there were bits in fire watching that had happened that that the book was leading on from but to me it stood alone it absolutely oh, stood alone great. yeah that yeah. was the intention it, yeah I, I I kind of had it in my head that this was going to be a sort of a, a, a trilogy, um, a loosely based trilogy, and it is. And the story, um, there's a thread that runs through, hopefully, the, the first three novels. Um, but it had not occurred to me that if you picked up book two, you needed to be able to know what was happening. And <clears throat> so, yeah, it, it <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Um, it did... It did take some, some, some kind of getting your head round when I was writing book two. There's that awful bit where you've got to try and fill the reader in on what's gone on before without making it too ham-fisted and too obvious, mm. uh, and also without boring anyone who's already read book one and and doesn't want the recap because they're they're up to date kind of thing. So it, it was a fine line to tread, and I hope I've got away with it. I'm now writing the third one, and it's even harder to do. You've got two books so to include. I don't think I'll be doing any more trilogies after this. I'm going to stick to standalone stuff. Maybe you just need to do, like, TV series um, previously with DS. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, as well, I... I'm interested in telling stories about characters who develop and change. Mm. And so you can't do that without them reflecting on what's gone before and, and sort of how it's affected them and, and, and changed their character. Um, 
So if you ignore all that, you just end up with um, a character who doesn't change much. And there are characters like that in crime fiction, and I love those too. But I, I'm more interested in in presenting someone who develops, and you know, I want I want Tyler to to get over what he's going through, hopefully, um, and then go a different way. And, and same with Mina, I want to see her develop and, and change and, and grow as a, as a policewoman. Yeah, sorry, I don't know if that answered the question or not. It, Absolutely, yeah, it does. yeah really completely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I think it worked. I, I knew what was going on, I understood what was going on, I have now read Firewatching, so I do know what happened. But yeah, I, I, it stood alone to me, so. There's a, there's a couple yes. of bits as well I, I thought I'd throw in, which you, you maybe wouldn't even notice mm. if you were reading Nighthawking first, but if you had read Firewatching, it's a little reward for you. You can go, oh, mm. that, I know what that refers to, sort of thing. So you, you wrote um, Nighthawking last year, did you say? Is that right? Uh, yes. Well, um, the first draft was sort of the end of 2019, and then right. that, but, uh, sort of it all came together sort of yeah. in the first part of the year yeah uh, and you're currently writing your third book in the yes. series are you tempted to include covid in there at all obviously things have changed our <laughs> lives have changed is the yeah. book gonna are you allowed to even say that well gonna... luckily i don't have to because um for very specific reasons i had to set fire watching in 2016 right. so the night is set in 2017 and mm -hmm. the third book will be 2018 um and then i'll see what happens if, if i go on to write another one after that maybe i'll jump a few years <laughs> because i have no desire to write about covid at all no. um, it, seems, it seems a really difficult thing to do because your options i mean well the, the writer may have had a more thought about it than i have but the options seem to be you have to do sort of like a really difficult thing about making sure that people are wearing masks every second sentence or you almost kind of or you almost have Tyler coming into sort of like the crime room going and the first sentence is like phew glad that Covid's over hey <laughs> <laughs> but it is creeping into fiction at the minute it's starting to kind of yeah. new books that I'm picking up I'm like oh they've I don't know if they've put it in retrospectively or if they have been writing it during the period and and so yeah it's just going to be interesting I think to see how different authors tackle that yeah, it, I think I prefer books that are a little bit timely, so they could yeah, be yeah. any time. And the, there's only, there's a specific reason Firewatching was set 2016, and it really, it was because um, it involves the war and it had to, if it had been any later than that, it would have, um, it wouldn't have made sense in, in terms of timing. Um, but it it's only vaguely mentioned, and I don't think, I don't think it's important that it's 2016 it, and you can you can think I, I'm hoping if you read it in 10 years time it was still obviously the technology may have changed but other than that hopefully it will still make sense and I yeah I, I, I suspect there'll be lots of brilliant books written about Covid and what and the and the problems you, you know the it will it will be examined mm. by people in the future I'm just not sure anyone wants to read about it <laughs> year or two. I certainly don't anyway but uh yes I'm sure it will happen uh and and also you know the, there's nothing although you're writing a book now it doesn't have to be set now it, it's mm -hmm. set before or after um 
to some extent I like to think as of fiction as a sort of alternate universe anyway so mm. in the world of Firewatch and Nighthawk in they didn't have COVID how's COVID been for you personally then because I guess there's a temptation for us all to kind of go oh writers they'll just be able to crack on anyway but is, is that the case have you sort of like had a period free of distractions to just get on with things or uh, no I'm just not that good a writer unfortunately <laughs> and I tend to do most of my work especially first drafts in coffee shops I, I like to go out and I like to be around people because it's otherwise as a writer you don't meet anyone and then there's nothing to inform your work <laughs> so um, yeah, I really miss and doing all that kind of thing. Having said that, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm far more comfortable than most, and I'm very grateful for that. You know, if this if this had hit um, even five years earlier, I would have been in a very different situation. So I, I'm not complaining. Um, you know, it's it's been it's not been the worst for me. I'm sure there are people out there suffering far worse, but I don't find it useful for writing. I'm, I'm sure there are writers who do and, and, and it's been great but in terms of, of production yeah, I've, I've not been I'm afraid I haven't written three extra novels in the last year or anything like <laughs> spent, spent far too long playing on the PlayStation and not, not picking up pen and pencil. Yeah it is, it's, I think that's not sorry I think it's not uncommon um, for people to find the whole thing difficult is it I mean there's mm. certain points where I'm not a writer I'm a reader but I think the whole weight of the last year sometimes mm. just pushes concentration span completely out of your mind doesn't it and it must be actually quite yeah. hard. It's, it, it's affected everyone in different ways and, and I don't think there's anyone who's not been affected um, negatively in, in some respect. And um, Night Talking's publication has actually got pushed back a couple of months, hasn't it? We were supposed mm. to be talking, we're talking now because the book was supposed to be out now, but it's actually been put back to April. Is that quite, is that quite difficult in terms of the publishing industry, do you know? Uh, difficult for whom? Uh, for I guess, I, well, I suppose, you, I guess yourself, but obviously we, we publishing is sort of, built up so that actually the publishers tend to know probably 18 months, two years oh, in advance what's yeah, coming out, I mean, isn't it? Is that, is that thrown sort of like everyone into a, I, I a panic it, frenzy? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was a panic. It was, um, I, I think they made a, a very deliberate decision to do it because Firewatching did so well in, in physical bookshops. And with me being a relatively new author, um, you can be a bit lost online um, because people aren't searching, they don't know your name, they're not searching for you. So um, I think their reasoning is that by hopefully by April, the shops will be open and so they'll, they'll sell more copies. But it may also have been something to do with somebody else who got pushed back and they've taken my slot. I don't know, that's possible. But it's not, yeah, I'm not too worried. Uh, it, it gives me a bit longer to finish the next one. So. <laughs> Speaking of the third book, obviously you can't tell us a thing about that, so I'm not even going to ask right now. But DS Tyler, this is a trilogy. 
is he going to exist beyond the trilogy? Have you any plans to continue writing about him? Because he's a brilliant character and I'd be quite sad to see him go. <laughs> um, and I have to say, wait and see. Yes, the um, I, I, I suppose it depends whether the publishers want more and, and keep offering to, to, to buy them. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll see. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I've got a rough idea of what I would do next for a, a book four, but um, I haven't put a lot of thought into it yet. So um, wait and see. <laughs> have you got any ambitions to write something different? Well, I have written a, a fantasy novel, which Amazing. Uh, remains unpublished. Well, it remains unfinished. That's the, the large problem, uh, that, which was also meant to be a trilogy. Um, so I don't know, may, maybe, I, I, I can only really concentrate on one book at a time because uh, I'm just a bit rubbish like that. So I know there are brilliant authors out there who, who kind of flip back and forth between projects and, and things, but I'm, I, my brain doesn't seem to work like that. Uh, but yeah, I would. I, I love writing. I write all kinds of different things. Um, I'd, I'd like to write just a sort of straight contemporary novel that wasn't a crime story. I'm a big fan of science fiction and, and fantasy, so I'd, I'd like to have a go at that. Uh, yes, who knows? It's going to be, I, I think I'll, I'll keep writing these until I've had enough and then do maybe do something else or maybe come back to these if, if that, um, if it makes sense to. And if I'm lucky enough to choose, of course, mm. which is say, no, I want this and you don't have a lot of choices. <laughs> no, that's true enough. Maybe cut that one out. <laughs> <laughs> Although Fire Watching was quite a big success, wasn't it? Especially for a debut offer. Mm. It was, how, um, what, was that, what was that like? How did that feel? Incredible, yeah. I, I don't, I, I really didn't know what to expect. So to have it so well received is, is incredible. And, you know, the paperback went to number one in the, the Waterstones chart. It was the Waterstones um, book of the month in November. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 amazing. A, a friend of mine uh, texted me this week. She had a hospital appointment, and she said the woman sat next to her was reading my book. I've not seen anyone reading my book. I'm not sure what I do. I think I'd freak out and run away. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's amazing. I, 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 it, it it boggles my mind that I've had messages from India and Australia and all around the world from people saying how much they've enjoyed. I enjoyed it and that, yeah that makes it all worthwhile it's just that's what it's about it's, it's, it's fantastic they're fantastic books so they, they deserve to be out there and I think we Alex and I would both absolutely recommend them great reads oh, 100% I think I said it to both you and Alexis before that when you've got sort of a two children under the age of three then sort of like reading something really needs to grip you and I Red Night Hawking over about two nights um, yeah. between Christmas and New Year. I couldn't put it down. It's fantastic. Oh, brilliant. Job done then. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Distraction from your kids for half an hour, then it's got to be. Where can people follow you and find out more about your work and your next releases, please? You can follow me um, on Twitter and Instagram at the voice of Ross, R U S S. Um, you can check out my website, which is Um I 
there's a Facebook page as well, which I never know the name of, but if you search for me, I'm, I think you'll find me. Um, yeah, but those are the best ways. If you if you sign up to my mailing list as well on the website, then I will. I every now and again I get around to doing a mail. You won't be inundated, trust me. I managed, <laughs> managed to send something out about once a year. <laughs> Brilliant! Thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you very much. For it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Hopefully we'll get you for an actual event soon. Oh, that would be fantastic. Our guest today was author Russ Thomas. You have been listening to the Sheffield Libraries podcast, the place to hear authors discuss their work, to explore stories, fact and fiction that we think deserve to be heard. I hope you'll join us again.